Lord of the land spake roughly to us and took us for spies of the country. And we said unto him, We are true men, we are no spies. We be twelve brethren, sons of our father, one is not. And the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. And the man, the Lord of the country, said unto us, Hereby shall I know that ye are true men. Leave one of your brethren here with us, and take food for the famine of your households, and be gone. And bring your youngest brother unto me, then shall I know that ye are no spies, but that ye are true men, so will I deliver you your brother, and ye shall traffic in the land. And it came to pass, as they emptied their sacks, that behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they, <coughs> sorry, when both they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob their father said unto them, Me have ye bereaved of my children. Joseph is not, and Simeon is not, and ye will take Benjamin away. All these things are against me. And Reuben spake unto his father, saying, Slay my two sons, if I bring him not to thee. Deliver him into my hand, and I will bring him to thee again. And he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is left alone. If mischief befall him by the way in which ye go, then shall you bring down my grey hairs with sorrow to the grave. <clears throat> Let's um, commit our time to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you, uh, Lord, for this time that we can come and spend uh, looking into your word again this evening. Lord, I pray that as we continue to consider this story, a uh, familiar story, well-known story, that, Lord, you would teach us and instruct us this evening. Lord, I pray that you would empower me through the Spirit now. You give me wisdom and guidance as I speak, that it would be your words, it would be your thoughts this evening. And that, Lord, you would challenge us, you would bless us, refresh us by your word. And that, Lord, we would leave this evening singing your praises and giving all glory and honor unto your name. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now, last Sunday morning, if you remember, we... Uh, considered how the Lord used a series of events to bring Joseph's brothers face-to-face -face with their sin and face-to-face -face with their accountability before God. And the first event, of course, was the famine, <clears throat> which caused them to, to go down to Egypt, and it stirred their sense of guilt. It stirred their memories uh, as to what they had done under Joseph, something they hadn't really considered for a while. It was brought back to their minds. The second event was the harsh treatment they received from Joseph when they arrived in Egypt. You know, that harsh treatment as they sat there in prison led to them really considering what they had done to Joseph for the first time, really thinking about the suffering they put him through. And it caused them to wonder if they were in this situation as a result, a consequence of their sin. And then finally... We saw the money restored to their sacks and this caused them to be full of fear and to declare there in verse 8, uh, sorry, verse 28, what is this that God hath done unto us? And so finally, we saw that they were considering the hand of the Lord in all of these events, considering the fact that God was behind it and considering that God was dealing with them because of their sin. And that was where we left the brothers last Sunday morning with the end of verse 28. And as we've just read there at the end of chapter 42, uh, we see them now complete the journey home unto their father. And when they arrive home, they tell him all the things that have happened while they're down in Egypt. 
And of course, then they empty their sacks and they find that all the money has been returned and they're all full of fear now at seeing what is before them. And as we just read, Jacob's response to what he sees and what he hears is that he refuses to send Benjamin down with them to Egypt. He doesn't want to risk the life of Benjamin. You know, it's not long before they have little choice but to make a second journey down into Egypt uh, to buy more grain and to buy supplies because they're running out. Just read with me there at the start of chapter 43. It says, And the famine was sore in the land, and it came to pass when they had eaten up the corn which they had brought out of Egypt. Their father said unto them, Go again, buy us a little food. And Judah spake unto him, saying, The man did solemnly protest unto us, saying, You shall not see my face, except your brother be with you. If thou wilt send our brother with us, we will go down and buy thee food. But if thou wilt not send him, we will not go down. For the man said unto us, You shall not see my face, except your brother be with you. And Israel said, Wherefore dealt ye so ill with me? And as to tell the man whether ye had yet a brother. And they said, The man asked us straightly of our state and of our kindred, saying, Is your father yet alive? Uh, and have ye yet another brother? And we told him according to the tenor of these words, could we certainly know what so could we certainly know that he would say, Bring your brother down? So as chapter forty three begins, we see their supplies are now running out. And so they have little choice but to make a second journey. And Jacob instructs his sons to leave to go and buy grain, and of course they refuse. They refuse to go without Benjamin with them because they know that they will not receive any good treatment from the governor. Joseph, unless Benjamin is with them. They have to bring him to prove the truthfulness of their words. That's what they've been told. And so to persuade his father, Judah now offers himself as a surety for Benjamin's life. And he says that he will bear the blame if something happens to him. Look there in verse 8. It says, And Judah said unto Israel his father, Send the lad with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and thou, and also our little ones. I will be surety for him. Of my hand shalt thou require him, if I bring, not unto thee, sorry, bring him not unto thee, and set him before thee. Then let me bear the blame forever. For except we had lingered, surely we, now we had returned this second time. And so Judah speaks up. And Judah offers uh, to give himself as surety to his father. He says, if I don't, Return with Benjamin, I will bear the blame for this. And of course, Jacob relents and he sends his sons on their way with Benjamin. Look there in verse 11. It says, And their father Israel said unto them, If it must be so now, do this. Take of the best fruits in the land in your vessels and carry down to the man a present, a little balm and a little honey, spices and myrrh, nuts and almonds, and take double money in your hand and the money that was brought again in the mouth of your sacks, Carry it again in your hand, peradventure it was an oversight. Take also your brother, and arise, go again unto the man, and God Almighty give you mercy before the man, that he may send away your brother, your other brother, and Benjamin. If I be bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. And so Jacob relents, as we know, and he agrees to send Benjamin with them, and they all now uh, go down to Egypt, and Jacob sends them with a gift as well, as we just read there. Okay, a gift of 
basically everything they can scrape together in a time of famine. Okay? They scrape together this gift to take down and they also take double their money with them as well. You know, the idea is that they can then return their money from the first journey and prove their innocence, prove that they aren't thieves after all. And as we just read there in verse 14, Jacob commits his son's care unto God Almighty. Okay, he says, and God Almighty give you mercy before the man. And so he, as he's sending them on their way, Jacob here shows some faith and he, he commits his sons to the mercy of God. He's content to leave them in the hands of God. And he says at the end of the verse there, he says, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. And it's sort of almost like he says, whatever God's will is, I'll accept. You know, if I'm uh, deprived of my children, I'll accept God's will. And so this brings us now this evening to where I want us to focus our attention. I've sort of, I know, briefly flown through those verses. And we're going to try and fly through a lot tonight. <laughs> the next two chapters. Um, so bear with me. Okay, but that brings us to where I want us to focus our attention. I want us to focus our attention on this second journey down into Egypt. You see that the first journey into Egypt God used, as we said, to uh, bring them to a point of repentance. This second journey is used by God to prove unto Joseph through a test that this repentance, this change of heart is real. Okay? God uses a test to prove unto jo Joseph the genuineness of the change that's taken place in his brothers. And so let's consider, first of all, here this evening, the test. Now, as the brothers arrive in Egypt this second time, Joseph's actions towards his brothers are again, uh, as I said last week, seemingly ordered by the Lord. You know, he's a man filled with the Spirit of God and he's led by the Spirit. And so it seems that he's been led by God in all these things that he does. And he's again being led by the Spirit in his actions here as they arrive this second time in Egypt. And so Joseph, under the direction of the Lord, will now test his brother's change of heart. Test to see whether it is genuine or whether it is superficial. And the test consists of two parts. We have, first of all, the feast. And then secondly, we have the cup. Okay? That's the two parts to this test that now takes place. And so let's consider, first of all, here the feast. Look with me in verse 15. It says, And the men took that present, and they took double money in their hand, and Benjamin, and rose up and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. And when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the ruler of his house, Bring these men home and slay and make ready, for these men shall dine with me at noon. And the man did as Joseph bade, and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. So as the brothers now arrive in Egypt this second time, uh, Joseph sees them coming and he sees that Benjamin is with them. Okay, you can count. You can see that there's now 10 brothers returning. Of course, Simeon's still in prison. Okay, because he wouldn't recognize Benjamin, would he? Okay, it's been over 20 years. He wouldn't recognize him, but he notices that he's with them. Okay, and so he instructs the ruler of his house now to take them home and to prepare a feast for them. And he says, I will dine with them at noon. And as his brothers are led away to Joseph's house, you know, we see that they are unsure exactly what's happening. You know, their first instinct is that something's wrong. You know, that they're going to be punished. Okay, read on there with me in verse 18. It says, And the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house, and they said, Because of the money that was returned in our sacks at the first time, are we brought in, that he may seek occasion against us and fall upon us, and take us for bondmen and our asses. And they came near to the steward of Joseph's house, 
and they communed with him at the door of the house and said, O sir, we came indeed down the first, at the first time to buy food, and it came to pass when uh, we came to the inn that we opened our sacks, and behold, every man's money was in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight, and we have brought it again in our hand. And the other money we have, have we brought down in our hands to buy food. We cannot tell who put our money in our sacks. And he said, Peace be to you. Fear not your God, the God of your father, hath given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money, and he brought Simeon out unto them. And so we see here that they're filled with fear, aren't they? At first, as they're led away to Joseph's house, they're full of fear, thinking that he's going to punish them, that this is it. They're going to be punished for being thieves and for everything else that he's accused them of. Now, they feared what was going to happen, and so they plead their case to the steward, as we just read there. And they, as they plead their case to the steward, the steward assures them that they'd done nothing wrong. Okay, he assures them, he says, I received your money, and it's of God that it's been returned to you. Okay, he says, it's of the Lord. God, in his providence, has given you back your money. You know, I find that interesting that an Egyptian steward declares that your God, the God of your father, has given you back your money. We see something about the fact that Joseph here is having an influence, don't we? An influence upon even his, his steward in his household here, directing him to the one true God. And so those around Joseph are seeing the God that he serves and they're acknowledging that God even here to the brothers. And then in verse 24 to 30, we see the brothers with their fears now somewhat abated, they make themselves ready to present their gift under Joseph. Okay, it says there in verse 24, And the man brought the men into Joseph's house, and gave them water, and they washed their feet, and he gave their asses provender, and they made ready the present against Joseph came at noon, for they heard that they should eat bread there. And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present, which was in their hand into the house, and bowed themselves to him to the earth. And he asked them of their welfare and said, Is your father well? The old man of whom he spake, is he yet alive? And they answered, Thy servant, our father, is in good health. He is yet alive. And they bowed down their heads and made obeisance. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your younger brother of whom you spake unto me? And he said, God be gracious unto thee, my son. And Joseph made haste, for his bowels did yearn upon his brother, and he, and he sought where to weep, and he entered into his chamber and wept there. So the brothers prepare their present. They're ready to meet Joseph and to give him this gift. Of course, they don't know it's Joseph yet. They still think it's the governor of the land. And so they're ready to give this gift unto him. And we see there as Joseph comes in, for the first time he's face-to-face, -face, isn't he, with Benjamin. As I said, this is over 20 years since he last saw Benjamin. And you know, Joseph naturally is overcome with emotion, isn't he? He's overcome with emotion at seeing Benjamin, his full brother, for the first time in years. And yet he still doesn't reveal himself under them because it's not yet God's timing, is it? And so he doesn't reveal himself. He leaves the room and he, he wipes his tears. He washes his face. And in verse 31, we see he comes back in and he enjoys a meal now with his brothers. Okay, Verse 31 says, And he washed his face... And went out and refrained himself and said, Set on bread. And they set on for him by himself and for them by themselves and for the Egyptians, which did eat with him by themselves, because the Egyptians might not eat bread with the Hebrews. For that is an abomination unto the Egyptians. 
and they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men marveled one at another, and he took and sent messes unto them from before him. But Benjamin's mess was five times so much as any of theirs, and they drank and were merry with him. So he composed himself. He comes out and he now enjoys this feast with his brothers. Okay? And at this meal, Joseph is at a table on his own. The Egyptians are at a table on their own. And then you have the brothers at their own table. And it's at this meal, it's at this feast that the test takes place. In verse 33, as we just read, the brothers are seated before Joseph and they're seated in order of their age, aren't they? Verse 33, it says, And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth, and the men marveled one at another. They're arranged according to age, and, and we're told here that the men marveled. They're amazed by this. I mean, they're looking at each other thinking, how on earth does this man have any idea what order our ages are? How on earth does he know this? You know, it's an improbability that anyone could possibly guess this and get it right. It's just not possible. But even though they're marveling at this, they still show no sign that they're beginning to understand it's Joseph, do they? They're, they still don't understand who it is. Perhaps they're thinking this man must truly know God to understand this. Maybe God revealed this to him. But they still show no signs that they understand it's Joseph. But you know, even though the seeding was a marvel, that wasn't the test. The test came when the food was served. Look in verse 34. It says, And he took and sent messes unto them from before him, but Benjamin's mess was five times so much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with him. This is where the test is now seen, if you like, or put in, in place. We're told that Benjamin here is given a portion five times larger than any of the other brothers. And in doing this, uh, Joseph is the one who's serving here. Verse 34 says, And he took and sent messes unto them from before him. And so the idea is the food is brought to Joseph's table, and then Joseph is the one who is serving each plate, and then it's taken to each of the brothers. He is dishing up the portions. And so there's no, no one lacking understanding here. Joseph is the one who gives Benjamin five portions, five more, than, five more portions than everyone else. He serves him. In this way, and Joseph is deliberately doing this. He deliberately makes a point of serving Benjamin more. You see, this was normally done for someone who was in a place of honor or prestige. Uh, one commentator said this it was not unusual in certain countries to serve a person who occupied a place of honor larger portions at a special banquet. It was a privilege for princes and rulers. For example, among the Spartans, they doubled the portions. The Cretans served four times the usual amount. Joseph outdid himself to make a point. He served Benjamin's five times more than any of his other brothers. You see, he's making a point here. Joseph is treating Benjamin as if he is a prince. He's treating him as if he is royalty. And here we see the test. The test is this. How would the brothers respond to seeing such honor given to their youngest brother. Can you see the parallel? You see, immediately here there is a parallel to years earlier when Joseph was still at home. 
Back in chapter 37, Joseph had been favoured by his father and given a coat of many colours. Go back there. Genesis 37. In Genesis 37 and verse 3, it says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colours. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Years earlier, Joseph was given the coat of many colours by his father. Now, if you remember, we talked about how this was a coat that symbolised that he was receiving the birthright. It was the coat of a prince, a royal coat. And so his father had honoured him above his brothers and shown it by the coats. And what was the result? The brothers were filled with envy and jealousy. They hated Joseph. They couldn't stand the fact that their younger brother was receiving more honour than them. They hated him so much, of course, that they sold him into slavery. You see, the test is, how would they now respond years later? How would they treat Benjamin in a similar situation? How would they respond when Benjamin is favoured and honoured above them? You know, this was a test of how real the change was in their hearts. You know, was it simply words or was it a real, genuine change? Butler writes this, In the past, they had so envied the favourite son that when opportunity arose, they sent him to Egypt as a slave. Would they do the same now if given the opportunity? Or was their repentance of this behaviour genuine? You see, that's what's happening here. This is a simple test that in some way reveals their hearts. And the joy for Joseph, of course, is that as he's watching on, he sees that his brothers are seemingly completely unbothered by this. They're not phased by this favourable treatment of Benjamin. It says there at the end of verse 34, and they drank and were merry with him. They are enjoying the feast. He's watching on and he doesn't see any sign that they are upset by this, any sign of envy, any sign of jealousy. But even now, Joseph doesn't reveal himself unto his brothers because there's still one more aspect of this test that needs to be performed. And this will reveal once and for all the change in the brothers. And that's, of course, the cup. We said there's two parts to the test. There is the feast and now there is the cup. In chapter 44 and verse 1, we see it says, And he commanded the steward of his house, saying, Fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put every man's money in his sack's mouth. And put my cup, the silver cup, in the sack's mouth of the youngest and his corn money. And he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away, they and their asses. Now when the, Joseph, when the brothers sorry, were ready to, re, to leave, Joseph instructs his steward here to fill their sacks with grain and then of course to again return their money. But of course he says, put in Benjamin's sack my silver cup. And the steward obeys and at morning light they begin their journey home, not knowing they have the cup in their possession. As we read on, it's not long before Joseph sends his steward after them with instructions to accuse them of theft. Uh, Look there in verse 4, it says, And when they were gone out of the city and not yet far off, Joseph said to his steward, Up, 
follow after the men, and when thou dost overtake them, say unto them, Wherefore have you rewarded evil for good? Is not this it, in which my Lord drinketh, and whereby indeed he divineth? Ye have done evil in so doing. And he overtook them, and he spoke, uh, spake unto them these same words. And they said unto him, Wherefore saith my Lord these words? God forbid that thy servants should do according to this thing. <clears throat> I will keep going, verse 8 as well. It says, Behold, the money which we found in our sack's mouth we brought again unto thee out of the land of Canaan. How then should we steal out of thy Lord's house silver or gold? With whomsoever of thy servants it be found, both let him die, and we also will be my Lord's bondmen. So we see he catches up with them, and he accuses them as Joseph has instructed him to. He accuses them of theft, of stealing Joseph's cup, his silver cup. And the brothers, of course, understandably are shocked, aren't they? I mean, they were not expecting this. They are shocked by this accusation. And they are so sure of their innocence that, as we just read, they offer the life of the one who has the cup. Okay? Whoever has stolen it, they say, he can be put to death and the rest of us will be your bondmen. In verse 10, we see the steward accepts their words, but he changes it slightly. Verse 10 says, And he said, Now also let it be according unto your words. He with whom it is found shall be my servant, and ye shall be blameless. He accepts their words. He says, Yeah, the one who has the, the cup in his sack, he will be punished, but he won't be put to death. He will be a slave for my master, and the rest of you can go free. And of course, the brothers then proceed to open each of their sacks, so they might be searched. And they're still confident, aren't they, that nothing will be found, that no one will be punished. Look there in verse 11, it says, Then they speedily took down every man his sack to the ground and opened every man his sack. And he searched and began at the eldest and left at the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. You know, the search begins at the oldest. It continues until they come to Benjamin. And of course, there is the silver cup. And again, this is the test. How will the brothers respond to Benjamin being found guilty of theft? How will they respond to the idea that Benjamin now must go down to Egypt as a slave? Again, we can see the parallel, can't we? You know, years earlier, years earlier, they, their envy and hatred towards Joseph and their love for themselves have meant that they didn't even flinch at the idea of selling him as a slave, that, that was easy for them. Easy to sell him and to, to watch as he was led away as a slave. You see, if nothing had changed in their hearts, they would now likewise be quite willing to let Benjamin go. Quite willing to watch Benjamin taken as a slave down into Egypt. Butler writes this, the brother's reaction to this would plainly reveal the character of their repentance. If they were still evil men, they would offer no genuine protest over Benjamin's arrest and sentence. Their envious hearts would secretly be glad at his misfortune and with vindictive passiveness, they would let Benjamin be taken into slavery, into Egypt, just as they let Joseph go to Egypt into slavery. So that's the point, isn't it? They are put in a situation now where they can very easily Watch the other brother that's favoured by their father taken away into slavery. How will they respond? And how they will respond proves 
their heart attitude, doesn't it? And that brings us to our second main point, their re reaction to the test. We've looked at the test at both the feast and with the cup. Let's now look at their reaction to the test. Verse 13, it says, Then they rent their clothes and laid at every man his ass and returned to the city. And Judah and his brethren came to Joseph's house, for he was yet there, and they fell down before him on the ground. You know, immediately as we read verse 13, it's already clear there is a change. It's already clear. You know, they don't just surrender Benjamin and leave him on his own. They rent their clothes and they immediately all set out back to Egypt with Benjamin. They all go back with him to plead his cause. Commentator Getz said this, 22 years ago, there was no question what they would have done. And Judah would have been the one taking the lead in suggesting that Benjamin bear the blame and become a slave. Their father's grief over it all would not have been a consideration. But their reactions this time were different. Together they returned to Egypt. You see, immediately already, before we read on, there's already a change. There's already a change in their response. You know, as Joseph is there in Egypt and he sees them all now returning, all of them returning, that must have already thrilled his soul. Just to see the line of them all coming and to realize that all the brothers are coming, that would have already thrilled his heart because already this demonstrates more care and more concern than they ever showed for him, doesn't it? Already. Just in coming back with Benjamin to Egypt. They are concerned for him rather than themselves. And as they now stand before Joseph, one brother steps forward and represents the others represents their change of attitude. And it's none other than Judah. Look in verse 15. It says, And Joseph said unto them, What deed is this that ye have done? What ye not, that such a man as I can certainly divine? And Judah said, What shall we say unto my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also with whom the cup is found. Judah steps forward. Judah speaks, and, and immediately as he speaks, the, the change is evident. You see, Judah makes no attempt here to protest their innocence. He makes no excuses. Instead, Judah humbly says here, God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. Judah humbly admits their guilt before God for their actions over 20 years earlier. He humbly admits God has found us out. He admits that God is dealing with them and he admits that they deserve it. It is justice for their sin. And he goes further and he actually surrenders himself along with the brothers as slaves with Benjamin. He says, we will all stay the end of verse 16 there says, Behold, we are thy Lord's servants, both we and he also, with whom the cup is found. He says, We'll all stay as slaves. We'll all bear the consequences, suffer with him. You see, they're accepting here the consequences of their sin. The commentator Getz wrote this, Though innocent of the charge of stealing, Judah was acknowledging that they were guilty of a much greater sin, and God had uncovered that sin. That's the admission here. He admits that they are guilty of this sin and they deserve the consequences. 
You know, hearing Judah make this confession and hearing his desire for them all to stay and suffer with Benjamin, that must have moved Joseph. I don't know about you, but I don't know how Joseph keeps it together. That must have moved him to hear Judah's words. But still, he doesn't reveal himself under them. Still, he doesn't say anything yet. You see, it's still not time. And so in verse 17, Joseph says, I will only take Benjamin as a slave. Look there in verse 17. It says, and he said, God forbid that I should do so, but the man in whose hand the cup is found, he shall be my servant. And as for you, get you up in peace unto your father. Joseph says, no, only Benjamin has to stay as a slave, only the one who had the cup. The rest of you are free to go. You know, if you like, this is, this is like one final chance for them to walk away, isn't it? This is one final opportunity for them to go, oh, well, we tried. You know, go back to dad and say, we did our very best. We went down there, we pleaded, pleaded with him, but we couldn't get Benjamin free. This is their chance, isn't it, to still turn away, to put themselves first, first to leave Benjamin behind. But again, we see Judah step forward and he enters now into an even more passionate and lengthier plea for uh, Benjamin's life. Look there in verse 18. It says, Then Judah came near unto him and said, O my Lord, let thy servant, I pray thee, speak a word in my Lord's ears. And let not thine anger burn against thy servant, for thou art even as Pharaoh. My Lord asketh his servants, saying, Have ye a father or a brother? And we said unto my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age, a little one, and his brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother, and his father loveth him. And thou saidest unto thy servants, Bring him down unto me, that I may set my eyes upon him. And we said unto my Lord, The lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father will die. And thou saidest unto thy servant, Except that your youngest brother come down with you, you shall not see my face, sorry, you shall see my face no more. And it came to pass when we came up unto thy servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, Go again and buy us a little food. And we said, We cannot go down. If our youngest brother be with us, then we will go down. For we may not see the man's face, except our youngest brother be with us. And thy servant, my father, said unto us, You know that my wife bare bear me two sons. And the one went out from me, and I said, Surely he is torn in pieces and I saw him not since. And if he take this also from me, and mischief befall him, ye shall bring down my grey hairs with sorrow to the grave. Now therefore, when I come uh, to thy servant my father, and the lad be not with us, seeing that his life is bound up in the lad's life, it shall come to pass, when he seeth the lad is not with us, that he will die. And thy servants shall bring down the grey hairs of thy servant our father with sorrow to the grave." Judah enters into a very passionate plea here. He pleads with Joseph, the governor. He pleads with him to understand that if they don't return with Benjamin, their father will die from the shock. This will be too much for him. And you know, Judah here yet again demonstrates the change in the brothers. Because the brothers here are greatly concerned for how it will affect their father. That's a big change, isn't it? You remember years earlier when they'd sold Joseph into slavery and they came home with the bloodied coats, they showed no concern for their father at all, did they? 
no concern at all when he, he believed the lie, when he held the code and assumed that Joseph had been killed. They didn't correct him. They showed no concern at all for him in his time of sorrow. Go back to Genesis 37. <clears throat> Let's go back there. Genesis 37 and verse 33. <clears throat> oh, we'll start in verse 32. It says, And they sent the coat of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it and said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I will go down to the grave uh, unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. You know, <clears throat> they saw their father filled with great sorrow, great pain at the loss of Joseph. And they had the solution, didn't they? They could have told him the truth. But instead they kept that lie, they refused to come clean, and for 20 odd years they had allowed him to endure that suffering, that pain of the loss of Joseph. And they never come clean to him, they never relieved that pain. But now Judah de demonstrates a complete change because here they are genuinely concerned for how it will affect their father. So much so that Judah now steps forward and he offers to take the place of Benjamin. Look there in verse 32 of chapter 44. It says, For thy servant became surety for the lad unto my father, saying, If I bring him not unto thee, then I shall bear the blame to my father forever. Now therefore, I pray thee, let thy servant abide instead of the lad, a bondman to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brethren. For how shall I go up to my father, and the lad not be with me, lest peradventure I see the evil that shall come on my father. Judah now offers to make the ultimate sacrifice, doesn't he? He says, I will stay instead of Benjamin. Let me take Benjamin's place. Let me suffer the consequences. I will be the slave. This is a remarkable change. You see, years earlier, it was Judah who had led the charge to sell Joseph as a slave. Go back with me, chapter 37. <clears throat> chapter 37, verse 26. It's Judah's idea. It says, And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come. Let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh, and his brethren were content. Then there passed by Midianite merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit, and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for twenty pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph into Egypt. It was Judah's idea to sell him as a slave. And so Judah years earlier sold Joseph as a slave, but now Judah is the one leading the charge to save the life of Benjamin, to save him from slavery. You see, the point is, God has truly done a work in Judah's heart, but not just his heart, in the heart of all the brothers. The repentance that we see in them is real. They had a change of mind about their sin, about the direction they were going. God has done a work in their hearts, and that change is now demonstrated by their actions, isn't it? It's seen in their attitude, the way they now behave themselves. And as we'll see next time, Joseph 
now can no longer restrain himself, can he? It's now that Joseph finally breaks forth and he tells his brothers who he is. And we'll look at that next time. You know, God had used a series of events to deal with the brothers. This really has all been about the brothers, hasn't it? To bring them to a point of repentance, to make them face their sin, deal with their sin, and God has now put them through a test to prove to Joseph how real the change of heart has been. You know, the time had now come for Joseph to reveal himself under his brothers. But you know, as we consider the testing of the brothers this evening, and I know we've covered a lot tonight, you know, as we consider the testing of the brothers, we see the reality that true repentance ought to result in a change of action. It should result in a change of action. You know, repentance is a change of mind, and we understand that. But that change of mind then should result in a change of life. We change the way we live. We change our attitude. You know, when God deals with us, as we saw last week, God chastens us. He causes us to get to that point of acknowledging our sin. God wants us to deal with it, and not just with lip service. You know, it's not just that we feel bad because we got caught. That's not repentance, is it? Just feeling sorry because, oh, I got caught. I got found out. It's the idea that we are genuinely sorry for our sin before God. And there is a genuine desire to now change our actions going forward. And that's what we see here from the brothers. God has done a work in their hearts. They have dealt with their sin and there is a genuine desire now to change going forward. And beloved, may the Lord help us to be sensitive to the work of the Spirit in our own lives. Because there is times like the brothers where we are in sin and we need the Spirit to do a work. To bring us to that point, we see that sin and so we might deal with it. So that we might then change as well. You know, have a change of mind that might result in a change of life. You know, because that's what the Spirit's trying to do, isn't it? To change us into His image, little by little. Dealing with these things, making us more like Him. So we might reflect Him in our actions each and every day. Let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word tonight. And Lord, I know tonight we've covered an awful lot, but Lord, I pray that tonight we've understood your word, understood what's going on, this testing of the brothers for Joseph's sake in a lot of ways, to show him this genuine change. And Lord, it just demonstrates clearly to us what repentance ought to result in in our own lives, Lord. It's not just feeling bad that we get caught in sin, not feeling bad because of the consequence of sin, but rather it's a a genuine sorrow over sin, a genuine desire to now change going forward. Lord, may you help us to be sensitive to your Spirit's work in our own lives. May we deal with sin as you reveal it unto us. And may, Lord, we be changed little by little each and every day into your image to be more like you. Lord, bless as we close now with a hymn. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.